Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series on the book of Revelation as he shares from Revelation 10 and 11 about being representatives, ambassadors, and witnesses for Christ. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Amen. Walking in victory. Hello, Impact Church. All right. Welcome this morning as we continue worshiping the Lord and now diving into his word and learning from the revelation of Jesus. So welcome to church this morning. So let's get going into the book of Revelation. Of course, last week we went through the beginning of these trumpet judgments. We went through chapters 8 and 9. So today we are going to start into chapter 10. And the title of the message today is, Can I Get a Witness? Can I Get a Witness? Very common phrase that you're probably uh, familiar with that started in churches uh, as, uh, as a result. But one thing we are um, familiar with is a witness in a courtroom, all right? And what we're going to see here through chapter 10 and eventually chapter 11, I was going to try to get both of them today, but there was just no way. I just had way too much. We'd have had to take a, a lunch break and come back to get chapter 11 today. So we're just going to do chapter 10. So a part two to this message will be next week with chapter 11. But we're going to see some messengers that the Lord wants to send out, one of which today in chapter 10 is, of course, John himself, all right? And then next week when we get into chapter 11, we'll see these two witnesses that the Lord puts on the scene in the first half of the tribulation to testify to his people, all right? But we're familiar with a witness in the courtroom, especially an expert witness, right? There's just something different about an expert witness. Why? Because they have studied, they know, and they live out the area in which they are about to testify, right? So you have somebody that knows what they're talking about, and they're trusted because of who they are, what they know, and how they live, an expert witness. And oftentimes, the testimony of that expert witness makes all the difference in what the verdict of the trial will be. Another type of witness that we're familiar with is an eyewitness. An eyewitness is extremely important because it stops the he said, she said scenarios that oftentimes can go on in a courtroom. The eyewitness comes in and say, well, I saw this. I saw it happen as it took place. All right. So we're very familiar with that. So what we're going to see here is John, of course, gets an eyewitness account, if you will, to Revelation. He gets an eyewitness account to what is going to take place and how this transition happens from the first half of the tribulation to the second half. And he gets this call from God at the end of chapter 10 that he must continue to prophesy to all the nations and tell them about it. So the message today for us in application is this, as we take God's word, that it's our responsibility to therefore be a witness for Christ. Because we're called to be his ambassadors, and that's a, a representative in a foreign land. We know what that is. So we're to take God's word, and we're to now be a witness for Christ ourselves. So let's gain that application 
as we dive in, and we're going to learn a lot today. In fact, we're going to see the Bible come alive and everything start to make sense. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, because we know it never returns void. And Lord, we come today to lift you up, to glorify you, to lift your name up high, Father. And we ask, Lord, for you to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us through your word today. Lord, give us understanding. Lord, let this be an aha moment and let this strengthen our faith and our trust in you and your word. Lord, let this comfort us, Lord, that you have everything in control and that you are sovereign. And that, Lord, as Jesus taught us to pray, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that, Lord, we are about to see the start of that right here. Lord, let that strengthen us and encourage us. Lord, let it motivate us and move us Lord, to not just be hearers of your word, but to apply your word, Lord, that we could be sanctified by your truth because your word is truth. And Lord, that you would do a work in us that other people would see Christ in us and that we could be your witnesses as well and that we could go and testify to your faithfulness and who you are and that you are God and that you are the real hope, purpose, and peace that this world's looking for. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and use us, and you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Have a copy of God's word. You can go ahead, if you're not there already, to the book of Revelation, chapter 10. And we're going to start out here in a minute by reading verses 1 through 7. But first, it's important that I point something out, all right? Because this is going to be one of the most important and pivotal as well as informative parts of Revelation so far, okay, of what we're going to get here in these next few chapters. Because what we're entering into in the book of Revelation is an interlude, okay? All right, and an interlude, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we went through chapter 7. An interlude is basically parenthetical information that we need to know and understand, okay, for context of what either has already taken place to gain more understanding or to give us understanding for what's about to take place and is to come, okay? So if you remember, we went through chapter six and we talked about the six seals. When we got to the end, then moving into chapter seven, chapter seven was an interlude, okay? That it wasn't in sequential order, that it was information we needed to know to understand something. What was that? Well, at the end of chapter 6, a question was asked, if you remember. It was after this polar shift or the the events that describe the events of a polar shift take place in the sixth seal, the question was asked, who can stand? Who can live and survive this? So the interlude answered that question and pointed to the 144,000 of God who were sealed and who, in fact, that we saw in the trumpets judgment, especially with uh, that of the locusts, that they were um, exempt if you will, from that wrath of God, that they, in fact, will stand. Of course, the rest of the interlude of chapter 7 pointed to the great multitude that people were getting saved and coming to Christ during the tribulation. In that, we saw the mercy of God, and we talked about that even last week, how in God's grace and his mercy, even through his judgment, he delays things and longs for people to come to him and get saved. All right? 
So now we have this interlude we're going to enter here. After the sixth trumpet, before the seventh trumpet sounds, chapters 10 and 11 through verse 14 is an interlude, all right? This is not in sequential order. What we're actually going to see is, is John take this interlude here at the end of the first half of the tribulation. And what we're going to learn is when the seventh trumpet sounds, that is the start of the second half of the tribulation. If you ever wondered how the, what the time frame was in this, we're going to see this in clarity through God's word. All right. So the seventh trumpet will start the second half of the tribulation. Therefore, we have this interlude to give us information about what happened in the first half in chapters 10 and 11, all right? Then in chapter 11, verse 15 through 19, we'll have the seventh trumpet, and then John will start the second half of the tribulation with the interlude, so a little different, and that'll be chapters 12, 13, and 14, where he gives us information we need before the second half, all right, or going into the second half. So here, chapter 10, got it? Clear as mud? All right, get a little understanding. We're at an interlude, and we're going to gain some information today. All right, so John's going to tell us something that we really kind of didn't know yet as far as if we just read through Revelation. All right, if you recall, many times we've had to come out of Revelation and gain understanding through Old Testament, Old Testament prophecy, specifically in the book of Daniel. Okay. We'll have to do that again today. But if you remember when we were talking about the white horse, the Antichrist, if you can back up a few weeks there, all right? And we looked at Daniel chapter 9. We talked about who the Antichrist would be, where he would come up from. And we talked about the 70th week of Daniel, okay? This seven-week time period at the end where the Antichrist would come on the scene. He would make a peace treaty, okay, with Israel. That would start the seven-year process. You with me? And then the Bible says in chapter, in chapter 9 of Daniel that midweek, that would be at the midpoint, three and a half years of the tribulation, he will break that treaty, all right, and he will stop the sacrifices and the offering. Once you think about that for just a minute, where, in, where is the sacrifice and the offering done in Jerusalem? The temple. So what he's alluding to there, there's going to be a temple. Does the temple exist right now? No, it's not there. If you remember, the second temple, which was rebuilt when we went through the book of Ezra and learned about that, was then destroyed later after Jesus had come and, and, and resurrected. The temple was destroyed by the Roman Empire, okay? So now the temple, it does not exist. So that means a temple has to be rebuilt for what to happen? <laughs> All of this end time prophecy for the abomination of desolation to occur, all right, because what was that? That's where the Antichrist at this half-week mark, stay with me, all right, comes in, sets himself up as God, and gets people to worship him like he's God, whether he puts a statue up, whether he himself walks into the Holy of Holies and sets his office up. I don't know what he does, but he's going to do an abomination and get people to worship himself, all right, and it's at that point that the Jews realize they messed up with this treaty, okay? So this book of Daniel is important to understand to make sense of revelation. Plus, we know it wasn't just Daniel who prophesied about the, the, having the temple be rebuilt. We know that Paul pointed to it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're talking about the Antichrist, the, one, the man of lawlessness, that he would come in, present himself as God, set himself off as God, and ask people to worship him as God. Okay. Also, Jesus talked about the abomination of desolation himself in the Olivet Discourse. So, 
Getting all that to say this, we're pointing to, we're going to get some reference here to what happened in the first half, also the rebuilding of the temple as we get into chapter 11. All right, let's read God's word now. Revelation chapter 10, verse 1 through 7. Now that we have some context of where we're at and what's going on. Interlude, ready? I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. All right, so let's dig this out and gain some wisdom and understanding. Because if you read through the end of that, which we will here in a little bit, it talks about John eating this little book. And if you just read this and you're going through Revelation and you're, and you're seeing all these seals and all these trumpet judgments as we just went through, and then you get to this and, and you're talking about some angel standing there with a little book and John eats a book, you're like, what is this, man? Why is this in Revelation? This doesn't even belong here. Oh, how it belongs here. There is a lot to gain in this. It is pivotal that we understand this because we'll understand the transition to the second half of the tribulation that's coming. This is monumental to understand, all right? So let's dig it out. Verse one, first of all, when we see this angel that comes on the scene that John sees, because of the attributes that's described here, a lot of theologians and many commentators believe that this is Jesus, okay? But let me explain to you why this is actually not Jesus, okay, in the Bible. We're going to look at that. Remember, we always go back to the Bible and let Scripture interpret Scripture for us, correct? All the time. We don't lean on our own understanding. We go back to the Word of God. But you can see why many would think this angel here might be Jesus, because, first of all, referring to him as an angel of the Lord, we know in the Old Testament that oftentimes he's referred to as an angel of the Lord. In Christophanies that were in the Old Testament, like Moses in the burning bush, all right, where an angel of the Lord was in the bush. But then later you keep reading that context, that text there in Exodus, and it says that the voice of God came out of the bush. Well, hold up. I thought an angel of the Lord was in the bush. How did, how did the voice of God come out of the bush? Well, there was that Christophany of, of Christ being seen in that bush and heard, all right? Also, you know, you've got in Genesis the story of Jacob wrestling with God, with an angel of the Lord, another Christophany type deal, okay? So you can see where some people might be leaning toward this might be Jesus. 
Not to mention, he says he's coming with the clouds. We know in, uh, in terms of the rapture and everything, we've seen that. It says there's a rainbow um, around his head. We know that, of course, the rainbow is the promise of God after the flood. We even saw the rainbow in the throne room. Do you remember that? When we entered chapter 4 and John saw the throne room of heaven, that there was a, a rainbow around the throne, okay? Again, pointing to God's grace and mercy, even in the midst of his justice and judgment, that he's a God that loves and keeps his promises. So you can see the, um, what's pointing to there. Also, it says he's crowned with mercy, face shone like a sun, feet with pillars of fire, all those attributes that we've seen that have been also in Christ here, even in Revelation. But... We're going to actually see that this is not Jesus, that this is in fact an archangel representing heaven, okay? So let me give you the reasons biblically that this is not Jesus, this is in fact an angel, and it's going to lead us into Daniel chapter 12. That's where we're getting, to go gain some understanding about this whole chapter right here that we're reading. First reason it's not Jesus, if you look, it says, I saw still another mighty angel, that's important. Another mighty angel. This word another here, there's two words in the Greek for another. All right? There's alos, which is the word here, which means another of the same kind. That's important. Then there's a, another Greek word for another that's heteros. That means another of a different kind. That's important. So alos is another of the same kind. Heteros is another of a different kind. This word here is alos, meaning it's another angel of the same kind. What kind of same? The same as the other angels that we've been talking about. Okay, do you understand that? Of the mighty angel from chapter 5. Another angel of the same kind. All right? If this was Jesus then John would have used heteros, that this is another angel of a different kind because Jesus isn't an angel, he's God. Angels are created beings, okay? So we can get that um, clarity strictly from the Greek in God's word. Plus, if we look all through Revelation, even in the New Testament, Jesus is never referred to as an angel anywhere. In fact, in Revelation, every time John speaks of Jesus. He wants you to know he's talking about Jesus, doesn't he? He says he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. You remember how he described him in the throne room? I saw a lamb as if it had been slain. And all through Revelation, when we look at Jesus taking the scroll, talking about the wrath and everything, it's the lamb, the lamb with a capital L. He wants you to know when he's talking about Jesus. This is not Jesus, okay? All right, second way we know this. The angel himself Basically, swears by God. It says he swears to him who created all things. Who created all things? God, who also created all things? Jesus. <laughs> He's God, right? Remember Colossians chapter 1? That Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created on heaven and earth. All things were created through him and by him. You remember that whole passage in Colossians 1? So if this was Jesus... He wouldn't have swore by the one who created. He would have had to swear by himself, right? Does that make sense? We have that example from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, where God swore by himself, making a promise to Abraham because there was no one greater than him, so he had to swear by himself. Same would have been for Jesus. He would have swore by himself, not another. 
third reason we know, the Bible very clearly states that a foot lands on the ground here, okay? There's a foot on the ground and a foot on the sea. Well, when Jesus comes and his foot touched the ground, what happens when we know that from the Bible? That's the second coming. Where does he come? The Mount of Olives. What happens? The ground splits in half, okay? And then it's over, and he speaks with his tongue, and the time is done, all right? So we know that this isn't Jesus because when his feet hit the ground at the second coming, that is done. This is not that time. So this is not Jesus. This is, in fact, an archangel. Possibly a better fit would be this was Michael, and we're going to see that as we look in Daniel chapter 12, okay, here in a little bit. Now, verse 2, now that we've seen kind of who this angel is and have some explanation, verse 2 said he had a little book open in his hand, okay? Well, what is this little book? This is significant. What is this book? Again, some commentators believe that this little book is actually the scroll, this title deed to earth that we've been talking about where the seven seals were open. Well, it can't be that, and we're going to show you definitively in God's word why it is not the full scroll that we've been talking about with the seals are open. It is not the title deed to earth, okay? First of which, if we just define that this is not Jesus, that this was an angel, who did we say was the only one worthy to grab the scroll? Jesus. Why did that change all of a sudden? How can another angel now grab the scroll if this is an, an, an angel? Does that make sense? So we know this can't be that scroll, all right, as well, if this is an angel. But definitively, we look, and John actually used two different words in the Bible in Revelation for the scroll and for this little book. In the Greek, the word for the scroll he used meant book. And in the Greek, the word he used for this little book means booklet. So he describes them differently even in the Greek, book and booklet. So booklet being a smaller version of a book, okay? Plus, we know this scroll was not small. You wouldn't describe it as little because if you remember, it was two-sided. There was so much information that the writing was on both sides of the scroll. You remember that? All right. So this is different. It's probably best to see it that way as different, but yet closely related, if not the little book encompassing some of what's in the larger book, the title deed, especially about the second half of the tribulation. That's what's important. Okay. So to understand this completely, we have to go deeper, all right? This is where we have to go back to Daniel to give clarity to Revelation, okay? And what we're going to see in this book of Daniel in chapter 12, that there's a book that was sealed until the time of the end, okay? There's a book that's sealed until the time of the end. Some say it could be the scroll still, but likely we're going to see this is the booklet because it's gonna, we're going to see it's a condensed version that's, de um, excuse me, that's dealing specifically with the Jews and the second half of the tribulation, this last half of the tribulation. So turn with me to the book of Daniel, go into chapter 12, and we're going to read the whole chapter, okay? Don't worry, it's only 13 verses, all right? Daniel chapter 12, the word of God says this, and I want you to see as we read this, if you see any Glaring similarities to what we just uh, read in chapter 10 in Revelation. It says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. That's important, your people, because we're going to hear that again. And there shall be a time of trouble, 
such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. All right, hold up there. What does that sound like? Does that sound like what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24 in the Olivet Discourse, talking about the great tribulation? Do you remember that? Where Jesus himself said in Matthew 24 that there was going to be a time like no one ever seen before when the abomination of desolation happens. And we know that's midpoint of the tribulation from Daniel. And Jesus himself referenced that and said from Daniel and says, you see him standing in the holy place. Again, that's the temple. So we know the temple will be rebuilt. And it says that from there, there will be a great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world. Okay. Sounds very exact as to what this is because it is says there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation continuing in Daniel chapter 12 even to that time and at that time your people shall be delivered all right this is important at that time your people all right this is talking to Daniel what is Daniel he's a Jew so who's your people the Jews so who are we talking about here Jews, okay? All right, let's get that clear. At that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Some look at this and say, see, this means if we're talking about end times, that the rapture is not before the tribulation, the rapture is during the tribulation, not so fast, because it also says some will come to life Um, to everlasting life, and some will go to shame and everlasting contempt. That's the final resurrection, okay? At the end, where where the sea and Hades and hell give up what's in them, the Bible says, and then they're judged and thrown into the lake of fire, okay? At the rapture, only people are going to heaven. Nobody's going to eternal damnation yet until Revelation 20 at the judgment. Does that make sense? So we're talking about after the end of things right here, okay? All right, let's keep going. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Verse 4, you ready? But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Underline time of the end there in your book. All right, because that's a phrase that we're going to see is talking specifically to the last half of the tribulation. Okay, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others. One, two other what? Angels. All right, we're talking about Michael. He's seen Michael, and two others. One on this river bank, and the other on the other river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and a half a time. All right, so hold up. You see some similarities already, right, to the angel and and the swearing by, okay? Now, the question was, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? What's this? What's in this little book for the last half of the tribulation? And the question's asked very specifically, 
How long will this be for the fulfillment of these things that's in this little book that needs to be sealed up until the time's right? The angel said, a time, that's one, times, that's two, and half a time. If you total that together, that's three and a half years. Got it? So now we're talking about this little book is sealed up until the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Does that make sense? Is the Bible coming alive for you right here? You're gaining some understanding of where we're at in Revelation and how this is pointing to this, okay? This is huge. Continuing on in Daniel, it says, And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall the end of these things What shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. There you go again. So that last three and a half years are come about. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Many being purified, made white and refined, pointing to the Jews that will come to Christ after this abomination of desolation, when they finally see Christ and who he is, all right? And that the Antichrist is the fate. It says, and from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, here you go, talking about this again, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days, all right? Three and a half years is actually 1,260 days. There's 30 extra days here. We're going to talk about that as we go uh, further into Revelation. And then it says, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So we get a longer period of time. What we're seeing is there's this time Jesus comes and returns at 1,260 days, but there's a period of time that takes 1,290 for his uh, um, kingdom to be set up for his uh, for the government of Christ to be set up, and then the 1335 for the start of the millennial period. And we're going to see that as we go in, all right? But you go your way to the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. All right. So inside that, we just gained a lot of clarity on some things. And this book pointing to the second half of the tribulation. So now, when we see this Daniel chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 10 go hand in hand. We see Revelation 10 now as this little book that's now ready because it's opened to be revealed, pointing to the second half of the tribulation. Are we there? Makes sense? Through God's word? All right. So when we look at that, we see this sealed up till the time of the end, last half of the tribulation, very specific to the time of three and a half years. Can't even mistake that. So basically what we're seeing this in Revelation chapter 10 is going to be the start of what is basically uh, known as an eviction process, okay? So God's going to come back and claim the earth as his, okay? And he's going to evict the person he's let rent for a while because of sin, and that's Satan and his goons and sin. Everything's going to be kicked out and removed, and God sets up his own kingdom, okay? So this little book specifically pertaining to the eviction process of Satan, Daniel, the angel, Daniel asked the angel, how long is this going to last? And he said, three and a half years, this process of eviction, okay? 
Also, this points to in Revelation 10, where the angel had his foot on the land and the sea. In Jewish culture, this stance indicates complete authority over an entire situation. So with the foot on earth and sea, it's claiming that, hey, heaven is now in control of everything on this planet. Okay? All right? God's always been in control, but what he is is claiming back repossession of property. Okay? You might say, well... All of it's God's anyway. Yes, it is. He created it. But if you remember, when Satan was tempting Jesus, and he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, what did he say? I'll give you all of this. Oh, brother, you didn't make all this? What do you mean you're going to give me all this? I made this. You see, there was not that discussion. You see, because of sin, now Satan is the lowercase g God of this world. All right? And he is running through people's hearts and lives and making things happen. God's still sovereign. Nothing happens that's not under his allowance. But make no mistake, the kingdoms of the world are being ruled by an enemy right now with sin running rampant. Okay? So God's coming back to take possession right here. This is going to be the eviction process for three and a half years that we see. So basically, this angel in Revelation 10, which is also depicted in in, uh, Daniel 12, is acting on behalf of God's kingdom, and he is stating that this is the takeover, all right? If you ever watched a TV show, I never watched it, but I I know there was a TV show years ago called Operation Repo. Did any of y'all ever watch that? And it was about these guys that would go and repo cars and vehicles that people didn't pay off. And they would show up and and, and take the vehicles. And how many of you know when people's cars get repossessed, they ain't happy, (laughs) right? And not everybody's like, oh, yeah, shucks, I forgot my payment. Take care. See you. Thank you for coming and getting that. No, they're fighting back. They're like, no, 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 no. You ain't taking that. Some of them try to get in their car while the tow truck's going down the road and they're trying to rip it off the tow truck. I mean, crazy stuff. So what we're seeing is the angels come and stake claim here. Hey, as of now, this belongs back to Jesus. This now is God's kingdom come to earth. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything we've been praying for, now is the time. That ought to get you excited because there's coming a day where Satan's rule is going to end and he has no authority over people and over this earth any longer and all of evil and all of sin is going to be cast out and Jesus will be standing in victory and claim his kingdom here on earth. Man, I wonder if y'all are awake yet. Did I put y'all to sleep with all the teaching stuff? Oh, wake up. Maybe we need to stand up and stretch or something. This is it, guys. It says the time has come. This is significant. Because up to this time, God has been giving people time. And he's still going to give some people time through this process because he still has to fulfill his promise. And he still wants his people, the Israelites, to turn to him and be saved. So even inside of this judgment and time of, of justice, that God's mercy and grace, wanting people to come to him, is still so evident. It's who he is. All right? We see in our passage in Revelation 10 that there's seven thunders that uttered their voices. All right? This kind of relates to the same idea of the thundering voices of God that's described in Psalm 29 where seven times these thundering voices come and repeated the, the, uh, the phrase, the voice of the Lord. So it's kind of uh, giving um, analogy to this voice of God. 
And then it says this, once they uttered, John was about to write them down, and it says, don't write them down. What's that about, you think? I thought everything was to be revealed. Why is there something that's uttered from the voice of God over this that was told, is now told not to be wrote down, but to be kept secret? It's a great question. I don't know that we could definitively say that, but one result is this definitely should let us know that there are some secrets and prophetic scenarios and mysteries that will essentially keep our exposition and our prediction and our thoughts and beliefs of things very humble, won't they? That we don't know it all, only God does, okay? Also, maybe in his grace and in his mercy, he decided, hey, some of this, this is so significant, don't write this down. I don't know, okay? But we can only point that something was said that was to be kept and will be revealed only in the time of the end, then we see this angel swore this oath, all right, that we talked about, and he says there will be time no more. No more time. Time no longer. What does that mean? Well, think about it. If, if somebody owed you something, okay, and they have been promising to pay you back, how many of y'all had that scenario? Be like, yo, man, you're going to give me that back? Oh, I just need a little more time. I just need a little more time, right? I just need, a little, I just need to give a few more paycheck, get, a little, get, my, get my things in order, just a little more time, please. But then you come to a point where you're like, all right, I need my money back. And what do you tell them at that point? No more time, okay? You may grant them, say, hey, you got two more days, but no more time, all right? It's done, it's finished. So that's what this angel is claiming. Now is the time for this book that had been sealed up since Daniel chapter 12. Now's the time, it's open for it to be revealed. No more time. Time has come to evict the lowercase g God of this world, the great deceiver, the accuser of the brethren that stands before God and accuses you every day. He's about to be kicked out. And God's going to set up his kingdom. So, kind of points to the fact that this happens now. All right? So this, this is like a, a voice that, that happens and it's done. It's set. It's like a judgment summons. Okay? That's an English law or an eviction summons. Once that happens, once that's, once that's written and it's declared, it's finished. There may be a process afterwards to complete it, but it's done. Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to see next week when we get to the actual seventh trumpet that sounds off, that it's actually finished. Some people get confused and think the seventh trumpet shows God's kingdom already set and things are done, which would make no sense as to why we have the rest of the revelation. That's why some people try to go back and say, well, that's other stuff actually come back and happened under the trumpets. No, it didn't. The seventh trumpet starts the end of time and all those bowl or vile judgments are under the seventh trumpet. This is the eviction process. Does that make sense now? All right, that we've seen in God's word. So the time is up. Seventh trumpet will be blown and that is it. And the word of God, when we get there, will say, now the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of God. All right? So it's a past fact. It's happened. It happens immediately when the trumpet blows. It's happened immediately when the judgment is made. All right? That this eviction notice is set. But there's going to be a process for it to take place. And that's what we're going to see right here. Look at verse 7 that we read in chapter 10 of Revelation. In verse 7. It says, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet... In the days, plural, not a single day. We think of blowing a trumpet, and it's done, right? 
One minute is done. But this is going to be like a... All right, you get the picture, all right? It's going on for a time before I like turn blue and pass out up here, okay? So in the days of the blowing of the seventh trumpet, that's important that we understand that. It's not singular, okay? This is beginning the last half of the tribulation as we just prove in the Bible in Daniel chapter 12. So the sounding of the trumpet starts the last half, but it also encompasses it. Does that make sense? It starts and encompasses it the rest of the tribulation, okay, of what is to come. Plus, you'll see nothing physically happened when that seventh trumpet blew, and we'll see next week that nothing physically happened, nothing really changed. We just blew the trumpet. So that, that's where we definitively can say that it's, of, it's pointing to stuff that is still to come, to be finished and completed. Here in chapter 10, it says that the mystery of God, okay, would be finished. At the sounding of this trumpet, the mystery of God would be finished. What's the mystery of God? What is that? If you look through scripture in so many places, you can go to Romans 16, 25 through 26. You can go to Ephesians 6, 19. You can go to Colossians 2, verse 2. A lot of times the mystery of God or all the time is pointing to the redemption process, the redemption plan of God over the earth. Okay. Inside of that mystery of God is a bunch of little mysteries that are all part of this redemption process, like the mystery of Christ in us, the mystery of, of Israel's blindness, the mystery of godliness, the mystery of lawlessness, all right? Mystery around the rapture, mystery around the returning of Christ and all these end times that we've been pointing to. So basically, this is referring to the unfolding of God's plan and his resolution of all things. It's his finished plan is being revealed, the mystery of God. Now let's get to the, um, here to the part there at the end we're about to read. But first, I want to answer this question. Somebody might ask, okay, if this is done, if it's finished, God's claiming it back. The angel's on the ground, and we're, we're here, and we blow the seventh trumpet, and we know it's finished. Why does this have to take three and a half years? That's a great question. Why does it still have to take three and a half years for the eviction process? Okay? Here's why. Because through this eviction process, again, when the abomination of desolation happens and the Antichrist turns on God's people, all right, on the Israelites, they realize they made a mistake. They realize he's not the Messiah because a lot of Jews are going to think that the Antichrist is the Messiah. Did you know that? They're actually looking for a man like Moses who will just come and bring peace and let them rebuild the temple. Who's that sound like? The Antichrist, all right? And they're going to be deceived by that, but they're going to realize at the midway point when he turns on them and sets himself up in the Holy of Holies or whatever he does, that they're going to realize he's a phony and he's going to turn on God's people. That's going to be chapter 12 that we see, and they're going to run and flee, and they're going to see Jesus for who he is. Especially once we get and we see these two witnesses that are going to be prophesizing, and they're going to see the two witnesses after laying dead for three and a half days in the street, and they're going to see them raise up in the clouds like Jesus ascended. They're going to realize who Jesus is. They're going to look upon the one that they pierced, and they're going to repent. That's why it takes three and a half years, because God is going to fulfill his promises, and he wants people to come to him. That's why. Because he's still a God of grace and mercy. Revelation 10, 8 through 11. Man, and I thought I was going to be done early. Let's rock. All right. We are going to be done early. I'm about to finish this up. Revelation 10, 8 through 11 at the end, because this is a quicker part. It says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, 
Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it. You've got to be kidding me. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Go be my witness, John. (gasps) I love it. But let's look at this. Take this book and eat it. All right. What's the Greek word? The Greek word there literally means to devour. Okay, to devour something. It can be literally devour or figuratively. Obviously, in this scenario, we're talking about figuratively. John didn't actually take a book and eat pages. Okay, he didn't eat a scroll. All right. But in figuratively, talking about consuming knowledge by reading and studying. Do you see that? I want you to take this and I want you to eat it. And I want want you to devour it. And then take it, what's in it, and go prophesize to the nations. Do you get that picture? It's a beautiful picture of what really took place. So, John could only proclaim the word of God if he had first taken it in, right? You and I can only proclaim the word of God if we only at first allowed God to speak to us and take it in. Does that make sense? Let's get some application out of all this. Yeah, we've learned a great amount, but what's the application for us? The Bible says that this word was both bitter and sweet to him, that it was sweet at first. Why would it be sweet? I think that part's obvious. It pointed to the redemption process of God, the finishment, the eviction of of Satan from the world, and that God would come and set up his kingdom. And we're talking victory there. That's easy to be sweet. That's sweet. What's bitter? Because then when God showed and revealed all this to him and he consumed it he realized what the people in the earth are going to go through in this eviction process and even inside of that what the people of Israel are going to have to endure from the hands of Satan and the Antichrist as they turn on God's people after the abomination of desolation does that make sense that's why it's bitter because he's seeing his people going to have to Go through some stuff, although it's sweet for the victory of God. All right? He says, the prophecy to all. That's the entire world. Not just a certain people, group, or nation, but he wanted John to take this word and to push it out, to go be my witness. Remember what we talked about, what we opened with? John is basically an eyewitness to revelation, to the end. And and God told him, hey, don't hide this yet. Go tell it. He wants all of us to know it. Did you know this? Did you know that? Do you believe that? I know some of this is hard. Some of it's heavy. I realize that. That's how hard it is to preach it. But did you know we're supposed to know it, realize it, and understand it in terms of who God is? It's the revelation of Jesus. We even started this out by saying that blessed are those who read, hear, and keep this prophecy. It doesn't get any more clear than that. There's no other book of the Bible that carries that promise. Did you know that? It's important that we know this eschatology, this revelation of Jesus, and his redemption process for us in the world. 
that will be fulfilled. You know, honestly, knowing how hard this is for me and how hard this is maybe for some people to to hear some of this, I was honestly starting to think, Lord, how can I speed this up? Can I just, can I admit that? Like, Lord, how, how quick can I get through this so we can get to something else? And I was really thinking about that. But the Lord speaking to me, I had no, I had no peace about speeding up and trying to hurry up and get through this. Or I even thought, do we put this on hold and I just teach this as a class one day, the rest of it in the building one day. I was honestly thinking all that because I feared people were leaving, to be honest. Feared people weren't coming back because they didn't want to hear this. They wanted to run down the street and get their ears tickled somewhere, which they can do. So I was thinking, Lord, how fast can we get through this? And then I read this <laughs> in studying this week where he told John to go be his witness. Take this, even though some of it's bitter, and go prophesy to the people. <laughs> God speaks through his word, y'all. And then if it, if it needed any more than that, this week on, on Facebook of all things, as I get notifications when people tag me or the church and stuff, a tag come up from the church and, and it was over this, uh, this uh, rapture group that's out there, a rapture Facebook page. And somebody had asked the question on there, do any of y'all's churches teach eschatology and rapture and end times? And everybody was going through there. No, mine doesn't. No, mine doesn't. I've even asked my pastor to do it. And he gave this cop out answer. No, mine don't. I have to go online and seek other teaching on this to even learn. And one person out of our church tag says, my church does. <laughs> so the Lord said again, do I need to be any more clear? Basically, the Lord was like this. Are you going to run the ball or do I have to find somebody else to do it? Sorry, Lord, I'll carry the ball. So here we go. We ain't slow. We ain't going to speed up, but so much. We're going to do what it takes to teach God's word. And we're going to teach it with truth and love wrapped in the grace and mercy that I believe is all inside this book, even inside what we know is judgment and justice as well. Here's the application. John was told to eat and devour this book, to eat it up. Are you hungry for God's word? Are you? What are you hungry for? Jeremiah 15 verse 16, the prophet says, your words were found and I ate them. Almost the same thing John had to do here. And the prophet Jeremiah says, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Are you hungry for God's word like that? Are they joy to your soul? Do they nourish it? Or are you looking for Dr. Phil and Oprah to give you that hope and that joy? Are you looking for, for people on Facebook to give you that joy and that hope? Or are you seeking God and his word? Some say, nah, man, I'm good. I, I mean, I can read a little bit of the Bible this week. If I just get it once on Sunday, man, you preach long enough, an hour's enough, you know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, I'm good. I don't need it the rest of the week. Matthew 4, verse 4 says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What are you living on? Things of this world? on Christ and his word. If you need another one, Psalms 34, seven through eight, 
the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Have you tasted and really seen that the Lord is good? Or are you tasting the things of the world? And the Bible and Christ just a sideshow. Church is just something you check off your block and say, I'm done for this week. See you next week. Or is it something you live out and thirst and hunger for? You know, if I had a chocolate bar up here and pretend you never had chocolate. And I'm up here eating a chocolate bar, right? And you never had it. And I'm sitting here and I'm eating it. And say I'm really uncouth and I'm like eating it loud. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, so you can hear me eating it. And I'm like, mmm, mmm. And maybe you can see a little saliva drip down my throat, my, 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 my lip and my chin. And I'm like, man, guys, this is good. This is good. You got to get you some of this. Mmm. I have a little fan up here blowing the scent all across y'all. So now you can smell it. You can see it. You can hear it but you'll never know how good it is until what? Taste it. Have you tasted the goodness of God and his word? What are you feeding today? It's an old story about a man and his two dogs that would always fight. This guy's friend would come over all the time and while they were there talking, the dogs would always fight, and he would always tell him which one was going to win. Say, yeah, this one's going to win this time. Yeah, this one's going to win. He was always right. And the guy one day said, man, say, I know these are your dogs, and you know them better than I do, but how do you know every single time which one's going to win? He said, that's easy. The one I feed this week will win. The one I starve will lose. Galatians 5 says that there's a competition in you and I with the flesh and the spirit. And the only way we're not going to gratify the desires of our flesh is to starve it and feed the spirit. Which dog are you feeding in your life today? Feed it, God's word, that's the spirit, and starve the flesh and watch God show up and give you peace in the midst of a storm, and in this life, like nothing else can give. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I wonder if there's anybody in here, you might say, Brad, I have never made a commitment to the Lord to give my life to him. And today I want to do that. If that's you, I'm going to lead you through a little talk I want you to have with God here right now today and do business with him and repent and surrender and turn your life over to Jesus. Or if you're here and you say, Brad, I've walked in out of church doors my, a lot of my life. I, I've believed and maybe I've even had a, a time where I know I committed my life to Christ and there was a change and there was a fire in me, but lately it's grown dim and I've walked away and, and, and I feel so defeated and I feel so alone and I feel like I'm, I'm feeding on everything in this world and I haven't been feeding myself with God and his word and today I want to come running back and I want to make a change. If that's you, I want you to say the same prayer and do a little business with God. 
Knowing full and well, it's not the prayer, just the words by itself that you just repeat and it saves you by itself. But it's with your heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, that you believe and are justified. It's a commitment and an entrusting to Christ. And that repentance is a change of mind about who God is, about what his word is, and about your life and about your sin. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart through the power of the spirit, that leads to a change of action through the power of the spirit, where God radically changes your life. That's what you're committing to. If you're ready to do that for the first time or to rededicate, I want you to boldly and unashamed right now just say, dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of your glory and I'm in need of you, my savior. Thank you, Lord, for breaking your body, for shedding your blood the giving of your only son at Calvary, God in the flesh, that he was the spotless lamb that was slain for the sin of the world and that through his sacrifice, through his wounds, I can be healed. Lord, because I need some healing. I need some fixing. And Lord, I'm running to you for that. Thank you for raising from the grave three days later, proving that you are God and that you do stand in victory over all hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, I want to stand with you in that victory. Lord, I need it. And my commitment to you, Jesus, is from this day forward, every step I take, every breath I make, all of my life will be used for you and your glory that I long to be a witness, to feast off you and your word and to tell others about you all the days of my life. My life is yours. Amen. If you did that right now, you meant business with God. For the first time or you rededicated your life to God boldly and unashamed, I want you to raise your hand. Said, I did it. I made that commitment. I want to pray for you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're lost without him. Church, can we give him a big round of applause? He deserves it. He is worthy. He's the lamb that was slain for us. Hope we can take this word we got today we can go use it i hope you learned a lot hope you learned some clarity about where we're at in revelation and understanding of of this tribulation and how the book of daniel comes in and ties in i I hope that strengthens your your trust and your eagerness to learn his word and to see how scripture supports scripture and gives clarity it's a beautiful thing guys it really is Revelation is really not that hard to understand when you use God's word to bring it to light and together. All right. I hope you come back next week because the second part of what we got to get to is how the temple will be rebuilt and how actually the dome of the rock does not have to be torn down for the temple to be rebuilt. You're going to want to wait and hear that next week because it's defined in scripture right here in Revelation. Plus, we're going to hear about two witnesses that come on the scene and witness to God's people and how they endured persecution And God used it to turn a nation's eyes to him. You don't want to miss next week. So grab a friend, come back next Sunday. Let's go make an impact for Jesus. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.